following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. Good morning, everybody. So good to see you. So good to be back with you. Um, I uh, have been on an interesting health journey over the course of the last number of weeks. I ended up with a uh, respiratory infection, and that was kind of a bummer. But in the midst of that, um, my body decided to reject the blood pressure medication that I've been on for years. And I had a reaction that caused swelling in my throat and in my tongue. And uh, the challenge is my blood pressure was also elevated from being sick and all the cough medicine I was taking. So they ended up increasing my dosage of my blood pressure medication, thereby giving me more of what was actually causing my problem. Um, It's caused this swelling in my throat, my tongue. It's made it hard to eat, made it hard to talk to the point that some of our staff members have come to affectionately refer to me as fat tongue which is just the level of respect that you would hope that your church staff has for their senior pastor, right? But uh, so the official reason for my absence last week was fat tongue. Um, I'm really grateful for Sissy for her willingness to step in at the last minute and lead us so well as she did last week. This morning, um, I want us to dive into this new sermon series that we're calling Deeper Still. Tomorrow, as a nation... We set aside a day to remember, to honor the life and the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King. And I want to begin with his words this morning. He says, by opening our lives to God in Christ, we become new creatures. This experience, which Jesus spoke of as new birth, is essential if we want to be, and I love this little phrase, transformed nonconformists, only through an inner spiritual transformation do we gain the strength to fight vigorously the evils of the world in a humble and loving spirit. What Dr. King is pointing out here is that for followers of Jesus, if we want to see deep, lasting, transformative change in the world, we need to see deep, lasting, transformative change in our lives first. God's number one agenda for every human being is that you would come to experience that new birth, that that you would trust in what Jesus has done for you, that, that you would receive his grace, his love, his forgiveness, his life offered for you. That is his number one agenda for every human being. But for many of us who have done that, perhaps a long time ago, for all of us, God's number one agenda for you, for me now, is to make us more and more like the one who has saved us. That God wants to do a deep inner work in us, making our inner lives more and more like the inner life of Jesus. That yes, God wants our outer lives to to come into conformity, with the life of Jesus, that we would live the way that Jesus lived, but that begins with this inner work of transformation. The language that Paul used to describe this inner transformation, he uses the word morpho, the Greek word morpho. Let me hear you say that word morpho, right? Morpho, it's the word to form. And sometimes Paul would put a prefix on the front of it, soon morpho, to conform 
or metamorpho, to transform, the word from which we get our word metamorphosis. And, and this language shows up all through Paul's writings to talk about God's desire, God's agenda for you and for me, this deep inner work to form, conform, or transform us to the likeness, the image, the character of Jesus himself. One of my favorite places is in Galatians chapter four, verse 19, where Paul says to those Christians in the region of Galatia, I am in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And I've been thinking so much about that metaphor as we enter into a new year. God, make this the burden of my heart for, for you, for me, for us at Irving Bible Church. I'm the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, in me, in us. Paul says in the book of Romans, this is the destiny of every believer, that, that ultimately we will be conformed to the image of Jesus. He says, for those whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. It's the destiny of every believer to be conformed to the image of Jesus. But it is the work that God is doing through his spirit in our lives right now. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed, metamorpho, into that same image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's what the Spirit of God is up to in our lives. If we allow him, he is transforming us more and more into the image of Jesus. It's the destiny of every believer. It's what the Spirit is up to in our lives. We have a part to play in that. The, the, the words of Paul, the well-known words in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed, metamorpho, by the renewing of your minds. Allow yourself, is the language Paul uses. Allow yourself to be transformed. Let God do what God wants to do in your life. That is a deep, lasting transformation so that your inner life becomes more and more like the inner life of Jesus. But here's the problem for all of us, and that is that human beings bear a remarkable resemblance to icebergs, right? Human beings bear a remarkable resemblance to icebergs, and here's what I mean by that. An iceberg, you may know, shows only about 10% of its mass above the water. 90% of that iceberg exists beneath the surface. You can ask Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet about this, right? <laughs> From the movie Titanic. Titanic ran into an iceberg because so much of that iceberg wasn't showing above the surface but existed down beneath. And the reality for all of us is that there is part of our life that is visible, a part of our life that, that we know and that other people around us know and see. And yet so much of our lives exists beneath the surface, our interior world. And there's a lot going on down there that sometimes we don't fully understand ourselves. And that this work that God wants to do is not just about what shows above the surface but it's about this deep, beneath the surface transformation. 
this deep interior change that he wants to bring. And what sometimes happens is that we focus so much of our attention on what shows. And we can actually become pretty good at presenting an image to the world of transformation, that that we can say all the right things and, and speak all the right language and engage in the right kinds of activities and yet not actually experience that kind of deep inner transformation. Friends, I believe that this is the invitation of God for us as a church this year. Last year, we said um, that we're going deeper in our discipleship to Jesus by going deeper into the story of the Bible. And we spent an entire year really allowing the work that we do together and in our services and in our various ministries to really engage deeply in the story of God told across the pages of the Bible. This year, at Irving Bible Church, we are going deeper in our discipleship to Jesus by focusing on deeper emotional and spiritual health and greater missional impact on the world. At IBC, we believe that found people find people, that loved people love people, that healing people bring God's healing to their neighbors, their communities, and the world. And this year, we want to experience God's healing power in our lives in fresh and deeper ways. And we want to invite those around us to experience the healing that Jesus came to bring. This year we're going deeper still. Now, I wanna draw your attention particularly to that little phrase, deeper emotional and spiritual health, because I believe these two things are intricately related. Our our emotional health and our spiritual health are really deeply intertwined. I I love the way that Pete Scazzaro in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, captures this. He says, emotional health and spiritual health are inseparable. It's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. This is that deep work, that beneath the surface, bottom of the iceberg kind of work that we're talking about. Emotional and spiritual health and transformation. To illustrate this connection between the two, I think back to a story of a Christian leader that I had the chance to work really closely with uh, years ago when Kim and I were first dating. And uh, I remember finding out after the fact that this this Christian leader that I was really uh, up close to, I didn't realize it at the time until after the fact that he had undertaken a 40-day fast. For 40 days, he went without any food. He just drank liquids, water, uh, fruit juices for 40 days. I remember finding out after the fact that he had undertaken this and thought, wow, what, what spiritual discipline. Here's the problem. The guy was kind of a jerk, right? Now, that may sound harsh, but here's the thing. That's his language to describe what he learned about himself through the 40-day fast, right? Because he thought, I'm going to go into this, and, and God, God's got something for me. I'm going to really, like, something's going to happen in my life. And he said, I, I walked away from this experience really not feeling like I got any closer to God. The thing that I came to realize is I'm kind of a jerk. And, uh, I mean, here the guy was just walking around hangry, right, for 40 days. So here's somebody who, who knew the Bible deeply, somebody who did his quiet time daily, 
Somebody who was really gifted for ministry and somebody who undertake this 40-day rigorous spiritual discipline. But none of that had gotten deep down beneath the surface to bring emotional healing, maturity, and transformation. The profound work of God through the 40-day discipline was the recognition that there was some deeper work that he needed. And see, friends, the thing is, is that we may be doing all the right stuff, engaged in all the right disciplines, and yet not allowing that work to happen at a deeper level in our lives. I believe God wants to take us deeper still. Now, there's not a chapter and verse that I can point you to that commends explicitly to you this idea of emotional health or emotional maturity. There's not a particular place that you see this spelled out in scripture, but it's profoundly biblical. It's what you see across the pages of the Bible. It's what you see, for example, in the Psalms, where the Psalms express every conceivable emotion before God and even to God. It's what you see profoundly on display in the life of Jesus himself. Jesus, who we see in the, in the Gospels, experience a, a full range of human emotions, and he does that in a way that continues to, to honor God, that, that shows us the picture of what emotional health and emotional maturity looks like. It's what you see in the description of healthy disciples throughout the remainder of the New Testament writings. It's what you see when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter five, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit, the the evidence of the Spirit's work in a person's life, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. When you look at those nine fruit of the Spirit, it's a depiction of emotional maturity. The fruit of the Spirit is emotional maturity. Now, I think emotional maturity for us is the ability to feel, process, express, and regulate our emotions in healthy ways. To feel what we feel. To process what we feel to express what we feel, and to regulate our emotions in healthy ways. And this is tied to our overall spiritual health. This is tied to the way in which we relate to each other. This is tied to the deep patterns of sin that we continue to struggle with, our emotional health. Now, many of us were taught, either explicitly or implicitly, that emotions are bad, that They're not to be trusted, that that they were to be ignored or denied or suppressed. But I love the way that Dan Allender and Trumper Longman speak to this in their book, um, The Cry of the Soul. They say, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality, and reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They're the cry that gives the heart voice. In neglecting our intense emotions, we're false to ourselves and lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. Emotions are the language 
of the soul. And listening to our emotions ushers us into reality, and reality is where we meet God and we are, where we are transformed by him. I've been really helped in kind of preparing this message and, and really the weeks that lay ahead for us by a book by Pete Scazzaro, I think I mentioned before, called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And in that book, Scazzaro actually walks through what he calls 10 symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. He describes what it looks like when, when we're engaged in a, a kind of spiritual life that doesn't really get beneath the surface. And I found his list so helpful that I just want to walk you through that list um, and to see perhaps if there's any that resonate with you, that any that kind of describe your experience. I know that when I worked through the list, there were several of them that describe me, and I'll share those with you as we go. 10 symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Use this as a checklist for your own life. Number one, using God to run from God. Using God to run from God. Scazzaro says, using God to run from God is when I create a great deal of God activity and ignore the difficult areas of my life that God wants to change. This is if I can cram enough God content into my life, then I can avoid having to face God and what he wants to do underneath the surface. I go to another Bible study, listen to another podcast, so I put on that, that new Bethel worship album, but I, I fill my life with God content so as to avoid actually having to face God and myself before God. Uh, I remember years ago, somebody that I was very, very close with um, went through a period of time where he just got what I would call obsessed with the Bible. Like he was constantly reading his Bible. He had this big, thick Bible he carried around everywhere he went and just got kind of obsessed with reading his Bible. Um, he would read his Bible and particularly he kind of got a fixation with the book of Revelation and, and kind of wanting to use that decoder ring and figure out what's going on in this strange uh, book, the book of Revelation. And, and, and watch this for a long time with some sense of what, what, what's happening. Only discover several months later that underneath the surface, he was hiding a deep, profound addiction. And he was using this fixation with the book of Revelation, fixation with the Bible, as a way of sort of self-medicating this addiction without actually having to face himself before God what was happening more deeply in his life. Now, maybe for you, it's not something as serious as addiction, but you find yourself prone to engaging so much God stuff, filling your life with God content, but failing to actually face God himself or face yourself before him, using God to run from God. Second, ignoring emotions of anger, sadness, and fear. Right? Sometimes that we just find ourselves prone to ignoring emotions like anger, sadness, and fear. We sometimes spiritualize this in a way that we think of these as bad, like this, this is evil, that this is sinful to feel anger, to feel sadness, or to feel fear. They're sinful. And yet, once again, we can look at the life of Jesus himself. There were times that Jesus was provoked to anger. There are times where Jesus is profoundly grieved 
And even as we look at the night before Jesus went to the cross, that he finds himself overwhelmed, contemplating what lay before him. But we feel as though feeling anger, sadness, or fear is something that we, that we can't do, that we are sinful if we do. So we deny those feelings. We suppress them. We, we push them away. Friends, to feel is to be human. To deny our feelings is to deny an essential part of our humanity and to run away from being fully human. Sometimes we say to God, change the way that I feel. When in fact, it may be that when we're feeling those things, the better prayer is God, change me. Right? Use these circumstances to change me. One thing I think in particular that we need to be aware of when it comes to anger, sadness, and fear is that for some of us, the temptation is to use anger to keep us away from sadness and fear. And the invitation of God is to get down underneath and explore what's happening below the surface. Using God to run from God, ignoring emotions of anger, sadness, and fear. Third, Schizero talks about dying to the wrong things. Right, That we are called to a life of self-denial, but the self that we are to deny is the false self with its twisted ways of thinking, behaving, and relating. This doesn't mean that we have to adopt a martyr syndrome. Right? For some of us, we can be prone to that kind of martyr syndrome and end up dying to legitimate needs, genuine desires, our deepest hopes and dreams for the future. Dying to the wrong things. Number four, I think many of us can operate in this way. That is denying the past's impact on the present. Denying the past's impact on the present. I, I'll never forget when Kim and I went to premarital counseling. Some of you married couples remember this, right? You go to do that premarital counseling. And, and so we went to this pastor to do our premarital counseling and he kept talking about family of origin, family of origin, family of origin. He just said it over and over, family of origin, family. And we're thinking, God, this guy must've had a terrible family of origin. And then we got married and we understood why he kept talking about family of origin, right? Because there were so many things about the way that we began to operate together in our new family that we had each brought in from our very different families of origin. And sometimes we can really be oblivious to the way in which our past has an impact on our present. Again, we can sometimes even spiritualize this, right? Paul said, forgetting what lies behind, I press on to what lies ahead. And yes, Paul does say this, and yet I think we can, we can sort of twist those words that when Paul says forgetting what lies behind, he meant having no confidence at all in what he had accomplished on his own. It didn't mean that he ignored the ways in which his past had shaped him. In fact, many times he tells the story of his past as a way of talking about the gospel. I think sometimes we are painfully unaware of how much our experiences in the past are still shaping the way that we operate. So many of us develop patterns of engaging the world as little kids, ways in which we learn to operate, to, to, to make us okay in the world. And we continue to perpetuate those same patterns so that for me, sometimes it can feel like my 10-year-old self is running my 50-year-old life. 
And I think that can happen as we find ourselves denying the past impact on the present. Number five, dividing our lives into the sacred and the secular. That we have our spiritual life on the one hand and the rest of our lives on the other. That we have faith that shapes our Sundays but doesn't really extend into the rest of our days. Here are the areas that God is allowed into and here are the areas that he's not. We compartmentalize God into distinctly, distinctively Christian activities, but he has little to do with the rest of our activities. Dividing our lives into the God stuff and the rest of the stuff, the spiritual and the rest of life, the sacred and the secular. Number six, and boy, this one speaks to me. Doing for God instead of being with God. Doing for God instead of being with God. This is often my great downfall. If I'm really just gut level honest with you, there, there have been times that this thought has occurred to me. And it's not even one that I like saying out loud, quite frankly. But there are times that I have feared that I may be a better pastor than I am a Christian. And uh, what's particularly bad about that is that there are times where I'm not all that confident I'm particularly good at being a pastor. <laughs> and yet I can find myself so engaged in the God work and not engaged with God himself. I can become so busy doing for God neglect being with God. And, and this is the perennial temptation for those of us who are in professional ministry. But the fact of the matter is, if I'm reading my Bible correctly, all of us are in ministry. And all of us as followers of Jesus are, are called to, to, to engage in God's work in the world and to be involved in, in the life of the church. And so this can be a temptation for all of us to be busy doing things for God neglects to be with God. Number seven, spiritualizing away conflict. Spiritualizing away conflict. Once again, we can wind up thinking, well, conflict is bad and it's to be avoided. And so we're not really honest about the way that we feel. We're, we're not really honest when we've been um, something's made us angry or, or, or something has hurt us. And so we just sort of deny it, again, thinking that's somehow spiritual, right? No, I'm not mad. No, that, that, that didn't hurt me. There's a word for that. Spiritualizing away those feelings. The word is lying, right? We are lying to ourselves and others. And we have to learn to be honest about the reality of conflict that we feel. Now, some of you, you tend to think that conflict is your spiritual gift, right? Or maybe your love language. That's a sort of another issue, right? But once again, we can wind up engaging in conflict in unhealthy kinds of ways. And, and the deep work is actually recognizing that, that conflict is important. Conflict is not to be avoided. Conflict can be generative. It can be healthy. It can be good. Schizero says, Jesus shows us that healthy Christians do not avoid conflict, out of a desire to bring true peace, Jesus disrupted the false peace all around him all the time. 
spiritualizing away conflict. Any of this speaking to anybody but me? I, I don't know. Number eight. This one gets me again. Covering over brokenness, weakness, and failure. Covering over brokenness, weakness, and failure. I'll never forget when I was in my uh, PhD program at Wheaton College. I was working on a PhD in systematic theology at one of the nation's um, top Christian institutions. It's an incredible privilege for me to study there, but I spent the first kind of half probably of my time at Wheaton with this just um, persistent fear that at some point somebody was gonna discover that I wasn't nearly as smart or nearly as godly as I had led people to believe. And there was one day in particular, all the PhD students were together having lunch in the student center. And I'm not sure exactly what happened, what it was that provoked it on that particular day. But on that particular day, I somehow found the, the gumption, the courage, just to say that out loud. You know, I have, I've been here for a year and a half and I've just lived with this constant sense of fear that somebody's gonna discover that I'm not nearly as smart and not nearly as godly as I've led people to believe. And there was just kind of this collective sigh. You too. That that's what all of us felt. And isn't it true that oftentimes, particularly in close Christian community, that we find ourselves sort of feeling a pressure to project an image that we've got it all together? That we'd prefer to sort of cover over our brokenness, our weakness, our failure. And yet we find the words of Paul in Scripture who says, when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. So I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. We have Paul saying, I'm the chief of sinners. Scazzaro points out the fact that the Bible does not spin the flaws or weaknesses of its heroes. And we shouldn't spin ours either. Number nine, golly. Can we skip number nine and just go straight to 10? Um, number nine, living without limits. Living without limits. We don't like to admit the fact that we are limited. We are limited creatures. We're limited in uh, emotional capacity. We're limited in, in strength. We're limited in time. We're limited in resources. We are just limited beings. But we like to try to live as though we're not. I love what Gordon McDonald says about Jesus, the limits that Jesus had and lived within. He says, Jesus knew his limits well. Strange as it may seem, he knew what we conveniently forget, that time must be properly budgeted for the gathering of inner strength and resolve in order to compensate for one's weaknesses when spiritual warfare begins. Jesus knew his limits and lived within them. Finally, number 10, judging other people's spiritual journey. We must care about our own spiritual shortcomings before we look at the shortcomings of others. And yet, we can find ourselves fixating on other people's flawed theology or other people's lifestyle that differs from our, our other people's choices that are different from our own. And we're constantly looking at other people and we're, we're sizing ourselves up by them and, uh, and failing to really do that work of knowing ourselves. Yet Jesus warned about the human tendency to fixate on the speck in somebody else's eye, but ignore the log in our own. 
Emotionally healthy spirituality does that kind of personal inventory, paying attention to the log that's in my own eye rather than fixating on the speck in someone else's. Using God to run from God, ignoring emotions of anger, sadness, and fear, dying to the wrong things, denying the past impact on the present, dividing our lives into the sacred and the secular, doing for God instead of being with God, spiritualizing away conflict, covering over brokenness, weakness, and failure, living without limits, and judging other people's spiritual journey. I don't know if that speaks to anybody else, but it certainly speaks to me. I am a fellow traveler along with you on this journey, but I gotta tell you, folks, this is the deep work that God has been doing in me over the course of the last couple of years. Coming out of 2020, that was just a brutal year in so many ways. God began doing some deep, transformative, some of the deepest, most transforming work that I've experienced in years as a Christian. And I believe that he wants to take all of us this year on that deeper journey. So two questions by way of application. Will you be open to the deep work God wants to do in you? Would you be willing to open up and to go there, to go into some places that may be a little bit challenging, a little bit difficult to go into? Will you be open to this deep work beneath the surface of our lives that God wants to do in you? And second, will you do the work? Ultimately, this is a work that God wants to do in you, and yet will will you engage the process with him? Will you be intentional? Will you be willing to to go there, to allow him? Because you see, emotional and spiritual health isn't something that we just sort of drift into. It takes a kind of deliberate intentionality on our part, a willingness to engage the process, to do the work. I wanna offer you just a couple of practical sort of suggestions in this regard. First, get yourself a journal. If you don't already have a journal, I'd really encourage you to grab one that that can be something that you can use as a tool as we move through this year, doing this deep transformative work. An opportunity, sure, to to take some notes on the the things we do together when we gather in this room, but, but even more importantly, a place for you to process with God during the week what he's doing in your life. We've got journals available out in Town Square um, and just as a reminder, those are an opportunity. You can grab one of those. And with each purchase of an IBC journal, you're sending a Bible into a closed country. And so it's not only an opportunity to grab a tool that can be helpful for your journey, but also make a difference in the lives of other people. Get yourself a journal in second. Um, a book I want to commend to you, a, a daily devotional that, that we're going to be engaging with over the course of the next 40 days called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Day by Day by Pete Scazzaro. It's a, a daily um, uh, kind of guide to do a devotional time with the Lord, a time of silence, a reflection on scripture, and some questions that help kind of probe deeper into that spiritual life. His book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, is outstanding. And then there is this daily guide that we'll be engaging with over the course of the next 40 days. You can download an electronic version of that. You can order yourself one and maybe have it come in in the next couple of days. But I really commend that resource to you. Friends, I believe that God wants to change the world through us. That's not hyperbole. I believe that. That God wants to use us to make an impact in the lives of people in our community and around the world. God wants to change the world for some people through us. But to do that, he wants to begin by changing the world inside of us. 
making our inner life more and more like the inner life of Jesus, the one who has saved us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your great love with which you have loved us, the grace that you lavish upon us. And God, I pray for any who have never received that love, that grace. God, for any who might be here who have never experienced that new life by trusting in what Jesus has done on their behalf. I pray that today might be the day that they would hear you calling to them, wooing them, drawing them into the life of Jesus the love, the grace, the forgiveness, the hope, and they would respond by trusting in that reality today. And God, for many of us who've settled that, we hear the voice of our good, good Father who is calling us deeper still into that transforming love, calling us deeper to this work beneath the surface of our lives into deeper emotional and spiritual health. And God, I pray that, that we would respond to you today, a, a willingness, an openness to say, yes, Lord, I will go where you call me. I will do the work with you, allowing you to do the work in me that you want to do, the work that only you can do, making my inner world more and more like the inner world, the inner life of Jesus. And we pause now before we come to communion just to, Examine our hearts before you and, and take an opportunity to name anything that's there that we need to bring to you today before we partake of these elements. So I give you a moment in silence to contemplate before the Lord now. Father, we thank you this morning that there's nothing that we need to fear naming before you because of the truth that your word tells us, that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Thank you. Thank you. We come now to these elements of communion with grateful hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.